Let's turn together to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 12 through the, the end of chapter 2, uh, verse 26. That's on page 553 of your church Bibles uh, and 554. Uh, as you're turning there, this is probably a, a good week for you to, uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, one of my, my primary sources is, is David Gibson's excellent book, on Ecclesiastes called Destiny. It's it's really a series, I think, taken from his own sermons uh, on Ecclesiastes. I didn't have actually have time to read it this week. So a lot of the things you're getting tonight are, are questionable at best, probably. Uh, it's not true. It's just, uh, I, I say that, so you might want to go and read his book this week. It's it's very, very good, uh, even though I've not read it this week. Uh, but if, if what you read happens to be word for word what I'm saying tonight, that's a complete coincidence. I'm thinking David Gibson's thoughts after him. Uh, and I, I'm mo- mostly saying that to put it on the recording as well. But uh, anyway, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, reading through the end of chapter 2, uh, verse 26. And this is God's word. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Uh, hear the word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted." I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, 
For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forevermore. I find that, that Ecclesiastes is making me uh, more philosophical. As I walk the, the streets of Hammersmith each day, I, I find myself contemplating what I'm, what I'm seeing and I'm, I'm discovering meaning in some rather odd places. For example... Uh, the other day I was walking our youngest home from school when what did I uh, spy with my little eye but a, a massive lorry, the bin man, going around from, from street to street collecting uh, the Christmas trees that had been dumped on the pavement as, as the council informed us we should do. Dump your Christmas trees on the pavement and they'll be picked up with your rubbish collection. That doesn't actually happen. It was just one day this week, the bin man driving around, collecting Christmas trees. And as I looked at this, this bin man in his lorry with a, a medium-sized for, evergreen forest in the back, I couldn't help but think about where these trees had been. Never stopped to think about that. I know some of you find, find the idea of, of live Christmas trees absolutely reprehensible, but I, I find each year it gives me a little extra joy to teach a tree a lesson it won't soon forget. And I've done that this year, along with many other people in London, apparently. But think about where these trees have been. November of last year, just two months ago, they were in some beautiful place. Some of them had come as far as, as the Scottish Highlands. They were, they were uh, deeply rooted in the ground. 
in the fresh Scottish air. And then some, someone, uh, you know, they'd been there for years, somebody would come out occasionally and, 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 and trim the trees to, to give them the right shape. And then uh, in early December, late November, early December, uh, the farmer came along and the trees were cut down and they were thrown into the back of a lorry and they were driven hundreds of miles to, to London where they were dumped on a lot. And someone, one of those someone's me, went and, actually this year it was Jenny, blame her, but, but someone comes along and, and picks that tree out and they wrap it in, in the plastic wrapping and they, they send it over to their flat and if that tree's really lucky, they're put in a stand with water. And for, for three to four weeks, they're, they're enjoyed. They're, the, 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 they're glorious, aren't they? They're the pride of the living room. Three to four weeks of, of people celebrating them, decorating them, you know, beautiful lights encapsulating them, only to, after three or four weeks, have all the decorations removed and to be tossed out on, on the pavements where, where people on the next door at take pictures and complain about how it was blocking the pavement. But that's where the council told us to put it. And they would stay there for days, for honest, a couple of weeks really, just drying out, turning brown, the only liquid coming from rain and the dogs marking their territory. Finally then, on an afternoon earlier this week, the, the bid man came around and he picks up the tree, he tosses it in the back of his lorry, and he takes it to the wood chipper. Two months, just three to four weeks of those months were glorious. The singer Katy Perry once sang, baby, you're a firework. But the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, baby, you're a Christmas tree. You've never stopped to think about that, but in the grand scheme of the world, that's that, that, that just keeps going on and on. You're, you and I are basically Christmas trees. I think deep down we feel like that, don't we? Like we've been, we've been cut off from the roots and, and dropped into a, a strange place, an unnatural place. And we do our best to, to put a, a happy wrapping on it. We decorate ourselves in things like, like work or, or, or money or, or pleasure or family or influence. But shortly, and much sooner than most of us want to think, you're going to find yourself collected by the undertaker and either turned to ash or buried in the ground. What will your days have, have added up to? What will, what will have been the point of them all? See, Solomon the preacher or teacher here gives us a, a rather stark thesis statement, doesn't he, this evening in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. He says it's, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and is striving after wind. There's four things for us to, to see from this tonight uh, that we're going to look at as the preacher unpacks this idea for us. First of all, we'll see that, that even kings are unsatisfied. Secondly, we'll see that you, you may be smart, but your destina destination is the same as the, us idiots. Third, we'll see that your hard work is great for the next guy. And fourth, we'll see that the, the, the source of real satisfaction. I'll give those to us again as we go through, so don't worry if you miss them. Uh, they, I know they're very profound. That's why they're quite long points. But first, let's see that, that even kings are unsatisfied. 
the, the preacher begins with uh, the, the clearest indication yet of who's, of who's writing Ecclesiastes. It seems quite clear it's King Solomon, who's known for his incredible wisdom and his incredible riches. What's he learned from all this wisdom? That he's, that he's vexed. He's, he's frustrated by life. There's, there's things that limit even him as, as an all-wise king, aren't there? He says that, that he, he can't make straight what is crooked. He can't count all the things that, that are lacking. He concludes that with, with much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge only increases his sorrow. Many of us, many of us feel this about wisdom and knowledge, don't we? I mean, I don't, but, but some of you do. You, know, you went to, to Oxbridge and, and, and you studied hard. Some of you maybe, though, studied really hard, went to Oxbridge, and, and now you work for a high school dropout who taught themselves to code. And they built a, a tech startup from nothing, and now they're worth millions or billions. Look, look at your wisdom. You're, just, you're, you're, you're working for, for somebody else. Maybe you created a vaccine in record time to, to save the world from a pandemic, only to have some... Uh, some nutters online spread rumors that it contains a microchip put there by the arch-villain Bill Gates to control everyone's minds. Wait a second, what? Oh, Bill Gates is telling me to move on now. Um, no matter how wise you are, how smart you are, there's, there's always someone smarter or much dumber, isn't there? And you have to contend with them. There's always things in life you simply cannot control with with your, your giant brain. So what does the king do when his wisdom is thwarted? When he's frustrated and vexed, he realizes he's rich. He can, if anyone can buy happiness, then, then surely the king can, right? So he goes out and he denies himself no pleasure. In fact, he says he uses his brains to think of all the things that might give him pleasure. That's amazing brain power. Like That's amazing use of, of the mind, isn't it? How many ways can I come up with to entertain myself? He says he lets his, his heart guide him with wisdom. And so he, what, what's he do? He, he seeks to make himself happy. He, he built big houses. He planted vineyards, which would essentially be like an ancient wine cellar. He got servants and slaves. He, he had singers to entertain him. He had concubines for... You know, this is the ancient version of West London, isn't it? We buy bigger houses when, when we get tired of the, the old one or, or, or the constraints and the size of it. We, we go to nice restaurants or we go to shows. When we need to, to get away from it all, we just, we just head just up the road to Heathrow where we can catch a flight to, to anywhere in the world to, to reward ourselves for all our hard work. That's what, that's what Solomon says he did. He was the ancient uh, equivalent of, of a billionaire. What do billionaires do these days? They, they get bored, they build a rocket to an imaginary line in the atmosphere that marks space. They build super yachts that can't fit into, into uh, some of the largest ports in Europe. They buy football teams and and pay young men a massive amounts of money to, to chase a ball around for their amusement. What's the point of it all? What do they gain in the end? Speaking of footballers, there's, there's another great example, isn't there? 
of, of what the preacher's talking about. Vast amounts of, of wealth with, with vast amounts of free time. What do they do with it? Uh, Peter Crouch, the, the former England player, wrote uh, an absolute masterpiece of, uh, of his life in football called How to Be a Footballer. It's a great title, isn't it? Because that's what we all want is to know. How, to, how, do you, how are you a footballer? One of his stories was after he, he signed one of his first contracts. He started trying to, to figure out what sort of lifestyle he's meant to be living as, as a, a professional footballer. And so he goes shopping at Harrods. And as he's shopping at Harrods, he, uh, he, he finds a shopkeeper who's, uh, or a, a clerk, I guess, who's, who's there to help him. And he, he brings him, uh, he said, the, the ugliest shirt he'd ever seen. And he looked at the price tag on it, and it was, it was 500 pounds. And he, was, he, he said he nearly gagged on the price. And the shirt was hideous. He hated it. But he was a footballer now. And he could tell that the clerk had expectations of him as, as this footballer, this professional footballer, that, that he needed to splash the cash. So he did. And his conclusion was, his first time he wore that shirt out on the town, he ruined it by, by spilling a, a pint of Guinness down the front of it. You know, and, and he, he th- thinks maybe he did, his subconscious did that because he hated the shirt so much. His conclusion was very similar to the conclusion of Solomon here. There's, there's no pleasure in it. He was relieved he'd never have to wear the ugly thing again. Or as Solomon put it in, in chapter 2, verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So wisdom and wealth couldn't provide him with with what he hoped they would. So what does he turn to next? Well, he doubles down on wisdom, doesn't he? Which is the second thing we see tonight. You may be smart, but your destination is the same as us idiots. See, the preacher comes back around to, to wisdom. And he does something... Uh, that few of us ever really do. He stops to actually contemplate the benefits of folly or, or, or as stupidity, for lack of, of word. It's not, not a very nice word. We'll stick with folly, I suppose. But, but he comes to this conclusion in verses 13 to 16 that I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I per- perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. It's quite a poignant thing, isn't it? To recognize that that Actually, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how, how bright I am. It doesn't matter how much stuff I have. It doesn't matter how successful I am. I end up in the, in the same places as, as anybody else. Like most ministers, I spend a lot of time in, in coffee shops. This week I was uh, working in a, in a Cafe Nero, uh, actually reading this passage, when I heard someone uh, talking rather loudly. And at, a, at another table, uh, kind of across from me, there was there was a gentleman who, who looked like he'd been sleeping rough, and he was, he was just kind of babbling to himself. When I looked up, I, we, we made eye contact, and we, he smiled, and, and, and we chatted for, for a couple of minutes. Uh, and in those couple of minutes, he, 
he didn't really say anything at all coherent. He uttered some something about how awful Barclays Bank is. I, you know, they're they're evil or something. That it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it might be true. I don't, I don't, you know, go to Barclays Bank. Some of you might have, but this guy was warm, and he was friendly, and he was he was there for the same reason I was to to have a coffee and and be in a warm place around other people. And as I was sitting there reading this this passage, and seeing this man, it, it was it was quite a poignant moment. You know, he was more like me than I would have liked to think. I would want I I, I would want to, to maybe dismiss him as, as not like me at all. You know, I'm intelligent, and he's lost his sense, and he was struggling with his mental health. But he was there for the same reasons I was there. He probably gained as much pleasure from that cup of coffee, maybe more pleasure, than I gained from mine. And as the preacher points out, one day we'll both be cold and stiff in the same ground. Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? It doesn't care what you've done in life. It doesn't care how you spent it. It doesn't care how intelligent you are. There's something in our humanity that, that binds us together. Yes, it may be better to live in the light of, of sanity, as, as the preacher points out, than in the darkness and struggle of, of mental illness. But no one in the, ends up, in the end, better off. Then what's next? What does he turn to then? Uh, well, what's the next thing we run to to find our, our meaning and our purpose? Well, well, hard work, isn't it? And he'll, he, he puts... Uh, we'll, we'll call it workaholism. Uh, it's a, the third thing we see. Your hard work is, is great for the next guys. Is the, the hard, is hard work uh, the answer? Is workaholism uh, the thing that, that gives us meaning? And we, we ask each other all the time, the, the first time you meet someone, what, so what do you do? You know, we, try, we get to that pretty quick, don't we? Because we think a lot of that is, is who we are, is, is, is what we do. The preacher doesn't beat around the bush on this one, does he? He, he gets right to the point. It didn't take him long to figure out that, that he hated his toil. He's very explicit, isn't he? Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I, uh, I enjoyed this U.S. sitcom uh, 30 Rock. I don't know, some of you have probably seen it. It's a, it's a comedy, uh, and it's about a, uh, the, the making of a, a late-night uh, comedy show. In one of the episodes, there, there's this corporate executive who's, who's in charge of overseeing uh, this, this, this group that puts on this show. Uh, and he, he's struck down by a heart attack. And as he's falling to the ground, he, he looks at, at his subordinate and he, he says to her, I wish I had worked more. And it's funny because the writers are, are making fun of this thing that, that people always say, no one ever says they wish they had worked more. And the fact is that, that none of us ever, ever wish we, we'd work more. But the, the preacher here pulls back a, a couple of layers to get to the heart of the reason why. Because everything he works for and everything he accumulates through all his hard work, he, he, he's not going to get to enjoy. He's too busy. You know, everything he accumulates goes to, to someone else, and, and they could be idiots. 
He's, he's t- really talking here about, about the people with trust funds, isn't he? What we call in America the, the trust fund babies, people who were, who were born into money. They were given every advantage in life, the best education, the best connections for their career should they choose to pursue one that many of them don't. Yet because they have everything handed to them, they didn't tend to coast through life. And not only do they add nothing to what they were given, they tend to, to squander it all. You may not enjoy the fruits of your labor, but the preacher says someone will until they mismanage and squander everything you've built. Workaholism, toil, is, is just that. It's toilsome and disheartening. And we tend to think the answer is to, to just take a step back and to, to go on a holiday or to, to retire early and, and, and enjoy the, the things we've accumulated. But we've already been there with the preacher, haven't we? We're now chasing our tails. Back at the very beginning, what, what became of all the pleasure he enjoyed in those early verses? It left him empty because, again, it couldn't provide the meaning and it couldn't put a stop to death. The preacher wants us to, to feel the pointlessness and, and the hopelessness of of all these things we spend our lives pursuing. All these things that we, we run to that, that, that cannot insulate us from the, the realities and the frustrations of the world we live in. That, that we face hardships even, even if we're rich or if we're wise or if we, we have all the pleasures we could hope for. He says wisdom, the, the, the wisdom of life cannot hold back death forever. So we end up once again in, in a rather depressing predicament like we, we did a couple of weeks ago. Is there any hope? Well, the preacher says that there is. And he points us to it in our fourth and final point this evening, the source of real satisfaction. Let's look back again at verses 24 to 26, chapter 2. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So the preacher against Solomon says, says that the, the problem with, with all of, of these things that we set our hearts on is, is not the things themselves, but when we, we set our hearts on them outside of God. That actually many of these things that, that we have, that we enjoy, uh, are things that are, are gifts from God. You notice he, that he, he mentioned God only once at the very beginning, didn't he? But then left him behind to, to find meaning in all of these all these things, looking for his purpose outside of God, simply saying that God has given us a, a difficult task in life. But then he tried to live it apart from him. He once again has presented us with, with a natural world in which there is no God. And we're left searching to find our own meaning. And it's quite a depressing place where we land. But now he comes back around, doesn't he? And he says that, that to live life like that is, is to, be like, to be like a Christmas tree. 
that's been cut off from its root and placed in a stand of water, with our life slowly draining from us, and all the things that we that we have and accomplish are, are only decorations that are going to be stripped from us in the end. But he says that life still has value. And it still has meaning. And we can enjoy things like, like eating and drinking and the work of our hands when we see that these things come from the hand of God himself. That they're his gifts to us to, to bring some pleasure in life. But most of all, to, to remind us of his goodness to us. Wisdom and, and what riches we gain from our labor are, are only valuable when they, when they point us back to the God who made us for himself and who gives us these things out of his, his uh, goodness and love for us. When our, our maker who, who we have to look to for meaning and satisfaction and joy, when we, when we realize that he's the one who, who has called us to himself and who, who has called us to our labors and to our pleasures. See, the wonderful truth the, the preacher points us to this evening is that, that when we begin to, to look at work and wisdom and pleasure as God's gifts, when we want to, to use these things not only to, to please ourselves, but to, to glorify Him and to please Him, that's, that's where we begin to find true joy in this life. The only way for us to, to have this joy in, in the, the mundane toil of life is to, to come to, to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who entered into our toil to, to give us new roots through His grace, to restore our true humanity, to, to give us life and to, to give it to us abundantly, to restore us to our true humanity. See, if you're tired of being as unsatisfied as, as a king, if you're sick of being the smartest and, and perhaps most arrogant person in the room, he's going to end up in, in the same place as all the idiots that you look down on. If you're tired of, of laboring and, and building wealth for someone else to enjoy as they squander it. In short, if you're tired of a life that's, that's lacking in, in the purpose and the hope that only God can give, then the preacher says to, to look outside of yourself, to look outside of this this mundane world full of, 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 of brokenness and frustration and to look to the God who has saved us in Christ. Look to the one who can carry you through death to eternal life, to that, that, that place where, where all the, the things there and all the people there and all the works that are done there are, are truly valuable because it will last and be enjoyed forever. Let us pray.